0: The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. The Sugars are here, speaking straight into your ears.
1: I'm Steve Allman.
0: I'm Cheryl Strade.
1: This is Dear Sugars.
2: Oh, dear soul, won't you please share some little sweetness?
0: Hi, Steve. Hi, Cheryl. So we here we are, part two of our Updates episodes. If you didn't listen last week, what we're doing in these two parts is looking back at some of the letters we've answered on past episodes and following up with those people to see what happened next. I know so many people, just like Steve and I, we are always curious when we give that advice. What changes are going to be made or resisted uh, what advice is going to be taken or ignored? And we're going to delve more deeply into that today on this episode. Now, one of the things that we've introduced in this past year, as we started a column back in July, uh, the sweet spot. It runs in the New York Times, the, the the actual paper, every Thursday in the style section. And it can be found online every Tuesday, the Tuesday before it actually appears in the newspaper and we try to really um, choose letters that in some ways echo or evoke the subject of the episode that runs that same week that the column runs. And we get responses.
1: We, we we tend to linger a bit more on the praise, but we remember the criticism because not that we assume that we always get it right, but in a way, those are the letters that we get that kind of make us realize like, oh, um, we didn't see it from all angles.
0: Yeah. And this really came up for me recently when we received a range of responses to one of our sweet spot columns that ran uh back in December. And it was a letter from a parent who has two adult kids. And this parent and her spouse had put both kids through college, you know, had really paid for everything all along the way. And one of them had never really actually left the nest and the other one Uh, Did have a job, but then was losing the job and wanted to move back home. And so this parent was really frustrated. Steve, both you and I said, time to cut him off. And part of being a parent is teaching your kids self-sufficiency and independence and self-reliance and all of this stuff. That didn't sit well with everyone. We got some praise. Somebody named Chris wrote to us and said, thank you for this insightful article for adult children. As you so well said, to problem solve, sacrifice, persevere, and suffer and benefit from the consequences of their own decisions is to attend finishing school, and only they can pay the fees. So we did get some praise, but we, we did get a range of criticisms, too. We have a letter from Virginia, who says, We fully support our 40-something daughter who developed a serious illness while she was in graduate school. She had to quit school as she battled um, the effects of undiagnosed Lyme disease and Crohn's. If we had simply left her to confront life's setbacks, she would be dead. So, of course, what I feel in response to that letter, absolutely support your kids when they need it.
1: That's right. But we also got a letter from another Chris um, I it made me think about our advice and the situation in a different way. And it begins uh, quite ominously, I think you'll agree, Cheryl. I usually... Love your advice. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I couldn't disagree with you more today. My sons have always grown up with a sense of giving back, i.e. soup kitchens, working with underprivileged kids, helping with Project Katrina, etc. I, too, was under the mistaken impression that they needed to, quote, problem-solve, persevere, sacrifice, and struggle, or pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I was fortunate enough to have an older and wiser girlfriend who said to me one day, Is this why you worked so hard, to have your kids go through the same hardships and experiences with their own bootstraps, or did you work so hard to share? I took her advice to heart, and nothing gives me more joy than to share with my own children the blessings I have earned. Now, I read that, Cheryl, and I was like, well, I agree with the advice we gave, and I kind of also agree with that. Uh, Or I agree with Chris's right to make that decision to raise his kids in that way and to derive a certain kind of pleasure from uh, things that he was able to give his sons that he might not have had himself from his parents.
0: I loved Chris's feedback to us, but, um, you know, I don't think that this actually is in disagreement with the advice we gave. I was certainly not advocating ever for not sharing um, your good fortune, especially, I mean, my goodness, I can speak directly to this. I have a very different financial situation that I can share with my kids than I did growing up, and I'm thrilled to be able to do stuff like you know, travel with them or pay for their college educations when the time comes. And that's what this letter writer was saying. We we put our kids through college. And I think that's what I was trying to address is not—it wasn't make your kids have all the same hardships that, that you had. I agree with Chris that that's a mistake. But yeah. I think something deeper that you and I both picked up on there was the emotional aspect of this. Kids who right. don't feel inside of themselves— Uh, that kind of capability that really you have to have to be an adult, that you can support yourself, that you can be independent and not rely on essentially, um, you know, mom and dad to do all the providing all the time well into adulthood.
1: Yeah. Uh, Now, the other thing that Cheryl and I would would both say, both about the column, the sweet spot, and, and also the podcast is we never get it right For everybody. And oftentimes, as much as you might have somebody like Chris who says, hey, I want to give my kids the life I I didn't have myself or the childhood I didn't have myself. We have people like Brian who wrote to us about the same letter. If you truly believe that being the safety net creates dependency, then you need to advocate cutting the safety net. Cutting the safety net sounds like this, quote, in six months, you will no longer be living here. You will have your own living situation, whatever you can carve for yourself. You may struggle. You may be homeless. You will find sympathy and help here, but not a home. Parents need to create a boundary of where that safety net will exist. And the most generous may be literally no safety net. Hmm. So that's some hardcore, tough love. and. I guess what I want to say is when I read the feedback, I am reminded anew that ultimately as much as we try to burrow into people's situations and maybe pick up on certain things that are latent in their letters and you know, certainly empathize with their struggle, it is their set of circumstances to work through. And everybody who they ask, this is just the, the the problem with the advice-giving racket, everybody who they ask is essentially going to give a projection of their own worldview. Now, I want to say one thing about the, the column... One of the things I love doing, as you know, as a book nerd, is when I'm reading something or I've read something that's called up by a struggle that we see in a letter, and I want to recommend to Brian and Chris and everybody who knows about this column or has adult kids and is trying to navigate how much financial support they should be given, Lionel Shriver has a short story collection out called Property, and in that collection is a it's a new book, is a story called Domestic Terrorism that is one of the funniest and most sharply observed uh, sort of domestic comedies about adult kids who will not get out of the house. It is a masterpiece. So please find that story if you're struggling with this and you need a little bit of levity and some relief and some of the insight that literature supplies.
0: And I also want to thank all of you for writing in about this subject and others, this whole range of responses we got tells me that this is a subject worth exploring more. And so maybe we'll do a future episode on it. And, and that's really how so many of our story ideas or our episode or column ideas are born, from you emailing us and asking us for advice or, or disputing the advice we gave.
1: Now, I'll tell you another episode, podcast episode, that was just got a, a huge response. And that was the episode we did back in August on body weight and romance. A ton of people listened to that episode and we received dozens of emails in response and we're actually even still getting them. Most of those letters were from people who felt incredibly encouraged and empowered by the way our, our guest, the amazing writer Ashley C. Ford, spoke about her own body image and her relationship. I'd love to read just uh, one of these responses. As a woman who's always been not only tall but big, this episode struck a chord with me. I have felt ashamed my whole life about being a big girl. My parents weighed me every week throughout high school and kept a chart of my weight because, quote, no man would ever love me if I was fat. I sat in awe and listened to your podcast. I felt so connected, and it was the first time I haven't felt alone and ashamed. That was from Nicole. And, and I think it's characteristic of the really our favorite kind of letter to get or favorite kind of response, which is, I was alone with this, and now I don't feel so alone.
0: Steve, this is why... I do the show, and this is really when we do these updates episodes. It's it's a time I think that we both look back too and reflect upon, you know, what it, what impact, if any, did our, our column have or our podcast? And these letters mean a lot to me.
1: Honestly, I'm just happy they're reacting in any way. It makes us feel um, that we're not alone in 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 this conversation. That we're part of this big, beautiful conversation, which I'm happy to report is going to include getting an update from. One of the letter writers who was actually on that episode. Um, this was a letter writer who called herself Scared to Choose Wrong. And she was actually involved with a man who she said she knew was the one from the beginning. And after two years of uh, dating, they had tentative plans to get married. And then she started questioning the relationship. He put on a little weight, his face changed, and she found that she wasn't as attracted to him she used to be. She had a sister and a friend who both admitted that they weren't as attracted to their husbands after they gained weight. And she asked, "You know, should I back out of the marriage or am I sabotaging myself? She was really over a barrel with this question. Uh, and scared to choose wrong was hyper aware that she was making what she felt was a superficial decision, a decision based on something that uh, felt wrong to her, that her fiancé or potential husband's Looks and his weight, especially, she shouldn't be worried about that. And uh, what we tried to say to Scared to Choose Wrong is I think you're really scared. You're scared to choose wrong in the sense of getting married because it's a big, huge step, and you're settling on something that's standing in for that ambivalence, something that's not superficial, it has meaning to you, but it's inflated because it's really taking the place of a more fundamental doubt about, can I live up to this? Will I love this guy uh, in, in the way that I need to to make this huge commitment to him?
0: And Steve, another point we made as people who have been married to our partners for some time now is we see changes over time. That is what the deal is when you love somebody over many years or decades, um, which we are presumably committing to doing when we decide to marry. And so we cautioned Uh, scared to choose wrong about that. You know, was she attaching herself to a really unrealistic expectation that the person she's attracted to... Because I remember a sexual attraction was a part of this. She was saying, I find myself less physically drawn to him when he's, you know, a little bit heavier. And what we said is, well, welcome to life, because he's (laughs) probably... Going to look different over time, whether it be weight or gray hair or balding or, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of things. And and we talked to Ashley, too, about that deeper layer, which we also touched on. You know, what are those ideas you have about weight and how are they attached to negative messages? You know, what what body issues might his weight gain be bringing up in me, in right. my relationship to my body? So why don't I go ahead and read the update, or what she made of that discussion. Please do. Dear Sugars, I was listening to your most recent podcast on body weight and romance yesterday and almost fell out of my seat when you answered my letter from last summer. I am scared to choose wrong. It was such an honor to hear your wise, thoughtful voices addressing my words and giving me advice. Thank you so much. I thought you might like an update. Three weeks ago, I married that wonderful man who I almost broke up with a year ago because I couldn't get over the fact that he had gained 15 pounds. Going through that period of doubt kicked off a self-reflective year for me, during which I had to face up to some uncomfortable things about myself, my need to be in control, my feelings about my own weight, my feeling that I, quote, deserve a partner who looks a certain way. I didn't like some of the things i discovered in myself, but I knew there were other better thoughts and convictions in me, too. I realized that the type of thoughts I choose to indulge will ultimately define the kind of person that I am. I also had some conversations with my partner about weight, health, and body image. Some went well, some didn't go well, but the most enduring things I took away was that I need to let him be himself and that my feelings of concern are valid, but they have much more to do with me than with him, and I need to own that. Your advice, and Ashley C. Ford's advice to me, was just right. I'm thrilled to be married to my sweetheart and thrilled that you answered my letter with your clear-headed advice. All my best wishes. Scared to choose wrong.
1: Mm. If I could get a T-shirt printed with the following, I think I would wear it all the time. I didn't like some of the things I discovered in myself, but I knew there were other better thoughts and convictions in me, too. When we talk, Cheryl, about, well, how do you make change, how do you actually move through a situation that's causing you a lot of pain or difficulty, anxiety, whatever, this is what it is. Part of the prescription is you have to look within yourself. And if you're doing it right, some of the things that you discover in yourself, you're not going to like. But you have to hold alongside that realization, which is painful and humiliating and destabilizing, frankly, that there are also other better thoughts and convictions in you, too. And actually, scared to choose wrong, we can see that in the way that you've written this note, that, you know, there's some conversations with your husband, congratulations, Mazel tov, by the way, um, that went well, others that didn't go so well, but that ultimately what you realized is that your feelings were concerned, were valid, but that they had more to do with your inner life than with your guy's number on the scale.
0: Yeah. Another thing that really I thought about as I read this update from Scared to Choose Wrong, as happy as I am, that you're married, scared to choose wrong, and that you found love, and that you realized that the deeper thing was really uh, something that you had to look at in yourself. I think that the the most positive outcome of this journey, if you will, that you've been on in contemplating what this 15 pounds of weight that your fiance gained, what that means, is that you dug under the surface to find right. out the truth. Right. Now, one scenario is the one that you had, which is this isn't about. My love for him. Of course I love him. And he is my partner and I want to marry him. And my problem is my problem and I can solve it. Another scenario might've been that the reason you were having those doubts about those 15 pounds ended up not being really the doubts about the 15 pounds, but the doubts about something deeper in that relationship. For the advice we give, like one of the things I always want to remind people is the search is really for the truth. And whatever the truth is, sometimes it's staying together. Sometimes it's coming apart. Um, You know, there's no one trajectory that's the right one, except living out the deepest truth you can possibly bear to live out. And so you did that. Congratulations. Scared to choose wrong. Um, You presented your problem to us as a choice. Should I stay or should I go? Should I marry? Should I not? But really what the problem was, am I brave enough to look really deeply at myself We're going to check in with a letter writer from our show called I'm a Transgender Man Seeking Acceptance. It first aired in September of 2016. One of the letters was from somebody who signed himself Aspiring Warrior for Love. He's a transgender man, and like Scared to Choose Wrong, body image was getting in the way of romance for him. He felt he had so many cards stacked against him, being transgender, his height, his salary— and he believed he would never find love because of those things. Every failed attempt at courtship sent him into a spiral of depression. He wanted to quit looking for love, but his heart wouldn't let him. And he wrote to us out of that place, that place of real vulnerability and sorrow and fear.
1: We try to give him some advice, as we always do. And we had the help, of, fortunately, of the wonderful writer Cooper Lee Bombardier. Uh, and we essentially counseled Aspiring Warrior for Love uh, that, that Essentially, everybody has this fear of being unloved. It's universal. We felt it was important for him to spend time with people who had um, values that lined up with the values I think he wanted to hold, which is not about your salary. It's not about your height. It's not about your body shape or size. It's about, you know, finding people who dig who you are, the content of your character uh, there was an undercurrent in this letter, powerfully Cheryl, as you recall, he really was treating himself like, like damaged goods. It was essentially telling himself the story that he would never find love because he wasn't worthy of love.
0: Right. He wrote, I can't imagine that someone will get through the initial phases of attraction to learn what more I have to offer. I have a lot of female friends who talk about wanting men who are well endowed in height, in their wallet size, and in their pants. Obviously, I'm bad of luck. On the last one, I'm 5'2 because I went through female puberty, and I make social worker pay. I've internalized the message that no woman is going to be attracted to me as I am. So what good is my great personality?
1: Now comes the fun part. We get to call Aspiring Warrior for Love, and we're going to find out how things have been going since we talked about his letter more than a year ago.
0: Let's give him a call. Hello. Hi, Cody. This is Cheryl Strayed.
2: Hi, Cheryl.
0: Steve's on the line, too.
2: Hi. Hi, Steve.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to join us um, to give us an update uh, to your situation. First of all, we would love to hear, what was it like to hear your letter on the podcast?
2: Oh, man. It was a little embarrassing, honestly. (laughs) Um, When I first heard it read by Steve, I... I was actually alone, but I still kind of hid my face a little bit because it sounded silly when I heard it read back to me. And also because at that point, by the time I heard my letter on the show, I was actually dating my current girlfriend. And Whoa. so it was uh, a, lot, a little humorous for me to hear the sort of state of mind that I was in just about a year before
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Cause you know, that's one of the things about there being sometimes a lag time. And when we receive the letters, when we read them, when we decide to do an episode, we're, we're encountering the Cody who is really mired in this, you know, powerful cycle of, of self-doubt. I'm never going to find love. And you're actually hearing this having found what sounds like a, you know, long-term girlfriend.
2: Right. Yeah. yeah. And at that point we had only been dating for a few months. Um, so I was you know, still at a point where I was not completely a different person than the person who had written that letter mm-hmm. and still felt some doubts and some fear. So
1: So how'd you meet your girlfriend?
2: Well, that is actually a really great story. So we met um the last day of March in 2016, and um, March 31st is actually the Transgender Day of Visibility, um, and I had that day decided to make this Facebook post um, coming out as transgender. A lot of my friends already know that I'm trans, but um, I had just moved to a new place, and so a lot of people didn't know, and. I made this whole post talking about what being trans means to me. So I I kind of was pretty pumped up by my own bravery that day. (laughs) I, I got a fairly good response from a lot of people and I was really excited about that. And I was going to an event that night at a bar with a bunch of friends. And I think I was just like so high on my own kind of act of authenticity And it made me a lot more daring than I think I would have been (laughs) otherwise. So I met this woman who I I swear, like when I think back on the memory, I feel like she was sitting at the bar under a spotlight. Uh. It, It was that kind of thing where like I saw her and I was like, she seems awesome. And given, you know, what I wrote in my letter and how I felt about my own appearance and my own kind of lack of confidence, normally I feel like I wouldn't have just been daring enough to mm-hmm. go and approach her. But I, I really feel like because I had just done this coming out thing and just been authentic and vulnerable, I was in a somewhat different state of mind that night and so I just happened to have the courage to go up and talk to her and we talked for a long time about grad school and what we both do for work and what our like future plans are and so she of course added me on Facebook that night and um The first thing that she saw was the post about me coming out as trans. So that's actually one of the first things that she knew about me. And as it happens, she agreed to go on a date with me anyway.
0: (laughs) So, you know, it's interesting that you're saying this because, of course, what you're describing is you walked into that bar exuding confidence. Yeah. And um, one of the things we noted, I don't know if you remember this bit of advice, that, you know, Your letter, you were really presenting yourself as sort of damaged goods. Mm. I'm this, I'm that, I'm too short, and nobody's. I don't have any money, and I never will, and all of that stuff. And we were saying, hey, you're actually pretty awesome, and you need to think of yourself in more positive terms. And then, you know, I mean, you did that on your own, really unintentionally, by being brave and by being received with love. You had that that sense of strength about you. And this is, and this is when you met this person who you now are in love with. That's that's pretty cool.
2: I think that's really important because as far as my kind of update is concerned, I think the fact that I'm in a relationship is actually not the most important piece because what came before that was that I was able to see myself differently. Yes. And that's what needed to happen yeah it's not that I needed a girlfriend. It's that I needed to see myself differently, and the rest would come. yeah, totally. yeah,
0: we just that deeper truth again, we we talked about it before you got on the phone, Cody. this idea that like so often we present our problems like you did, like, will I ever find love? I want somebody to love me. But really, it's about will I ever be able to love and accept myself? Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a like a sort of you know you we hear this a lot, but I think you're presenting a really a, a very specific example of what that looks like in real life and in an action.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. It, it's funny the way you put it because you're obviously a humble person. You said, "Well, I happen to have had the courage that night to talk <laughs> to the girl under the spotlight." But of course, what's so beautiful about that story is that you didn't just happen to you came out. You made yourself visible and actually celebrated yourself. And that's what people pick up on and are drawn to and find sexy is people who know themselves.
2: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and the act of writing that letter was vulnerable for me. Um, you know, one of the things that's been really healing for me about being in a relationship is, sharing those things with my partner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I shared the the episode that my letter was featured on, even though I was kind of nervous about that. I was like, I don't know if I want you to know that I sometimes feel this way about myself. And, yeah. and in turn, she's shared with me the things that she doesn't feel great about all the time. And, and that process of realizing like, hey, we both have some things that we wish were different about ourselves, but just naming those things yep. is powerful.
1: It's also ballsy. Honestly, it's courageous. And that's yeah. what I mean about having a certain kind of courage to walk up to a woman. I love that description. It's like she has she travels around with the spotlight.
2: <laughs> she still does.
0: <laughs> so it sounds like this you know, you did some healing before before you met your girlfriend. Um, on your own, which really allowed you to be strong and happy in this relationship and 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 also the relationship itself has been healing. I think it's also totally valid to say you know some healing happens in relation to other people. Love can be a healing mm-hmm. experience, and at its best, I think it is and so i'm curious about uh you know what what's next like what are you grappling with in this era of your life now that you 've moved a little bit uh beyond the place you were in when you first wrote to us?
2: Mm, yeah, so one of the things that I is really a goal for me and something that I'm working on is um, having more control over the messages that I expose myself to. So, hmm. for example, I'm kind of like a compulsive Facebook comment reader. And oh God! <laughs> everyone knows that that's te- a terrible idea. Um, yeah. I know that that's a terrible idea. I never learned anything positive from that experience, but for whatever reason, I'm drawn to it over and over again, especially things that have to do with being trans. And so, you know, I, I can't control other people's bigotry or discrimination, but I, I can control in what ways I let it enter my life.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you wrote to us, so much of what you were struggling with and what was making you suffer really are these messages that we receive from others about mm-hmm. worth being measured in, you know, wealth or, or height or, you know, all, all of those things that were really mm-hmm. um, sort of external to you and not about who you are as a valuable lovable person. I think that that's really wise, you know, that that next step is to say, okay, I've I've sort of dealt with some of those voices in my own head that I've internalized. And now, you know, let's go back out to that external world and say, I'm just going to stop paying attention to some of that stuff that makes me feel bad. I, I've mm-hmm. done that in my own life too. I mean, I have mm-hmm. to say, um, you know, my own... Trajectory as you know somebody who writes things and puts it into the world. There was a point at the beginning where I just wanted to hear what what people had to say, mostly because I was hoping that they would praise me, and that mm-hmm. fed me. But but when they criticized me, it hurt me. And then and then I got to the point where I realized, you know what, I don't need that stuff anymore. You know, mm-hmm. just avoid it all so that you don't bring yourself into that space.
1: Yeah, it's true. But you know, Cody, the real question then is uh, so. What draws me to do that? Why do I need to beat myself up or expose myself to those messages? What part of me isn't fully through um, the process of of, uh, accepting and celebrating who I am? There's still some part of you that needs to almost like check in with that wound. Um, Mm -hmm. And like I'm right there with you. I read all that stuff and I know that the part of me that is looking at that stuff still hasn't totally let myself off the hook. I still got some work to do.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's how I feel too. It's like there's there's some part of me, some dark part that wants to agree with what they're saying and, you know, wants more. And also something that that I thought of that came up in the original episode in terms of messaging is just kind of how I think about masculinity because you guys mentioned this when you're answering the original letter and it definitely was a big factor in what I was writing about was trying to conform to some imagined standard of masculinity, which I certainly didn't make up myself. I, you can see where it, it comes from, but also that has to do with choosing your sources wisely. So now that I've grown up a little more and um been able to talk to more men that I respect about what masculinity is, I've been able to kind of redefine that for myself a lot and focus my energy and my attention on ways of being a man that are for one thing more real and yeah. also more healthy. So like wow. I've been babysitting recently, and um, one thing that I really love is whenever I'm holding the baby, people are always like, oh, you're going to be such a great dad. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm. such a better source of, you know, measuring myself as a man, quite literally, um, as opposed to measuring my height or, you know, my income or whatever.
0: That's so true. That's absolutely. I mean, I think that that's true for all of us across the whole gender, you know, identification spectrum. You know, what what messages are we listening to? What narratives have we absorbed as true? Every woman who has ever obsessed about being beautiful, but who also thinks but I don't, that's not what I find valuable about other people, has, has faced that, mm-hmm. that contradiction and that conundrum. And that's just one example. I mean, we have so many where our feelings at odds with our with our morals or our values. And I mean, that's always the thing. It's like, you don't want to be with people who don't like people like you anyway. You
2: know I mean? Right. That so, is a great point. <laughs> and that is something <laughs> I've had to remind myself of a lot of times. It seems so obvious, but so difficult to remember at yeah. times that, you know, the downside of trying to make yourself something else in order to be liked is that yep. Yep. you don't end up being liked for the real person that you are.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which sets up this impossible thing for yourself. It's like you you will constantly be trying to pretend you're someone you aren't to get that person to keep loving you. It's a disaster. This sort of situation is the only time that love it or leave it phrase, uh, I think, applies beautifully. I've always thought that, you know, love it or leave it, man. Like, I'm a big bossy blonde. You either take it or you don't. (laughs) (laughs) So, Cody, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being brave enough not just to write to us, but to get on the phone with us and tell us the rest of the story. And I'm really happy that you're doing so well.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure talking to you guys.
1: If things work out and, you know, you move ahead and things keep being wonderful and copacetic and you decide you want to have some kind of marriage or civil union, I I will happily be the uh, flower girl and the big bossy blonde can marry you. (laughs) It's
2: perfect. I will definitely take you up on that.
1: Deer Sugars is produced by the New York Times in partnership with WBUR. Our producer is Alexandra Lee Young. Our editor and managing producer is Larissa Anderson. Our executive producer is Lisa Tobin. And our editorial director is Samantha Hennig. We recorded this show at Talkback Sound and Visual in Portland, Oregon, and in the Ugly Duck Studios in Boston. Our engineers are Josh Millman and Samuel Krieger. Our mix engineer is Josh Rogerson. Our theme music is by the wonderful Portland band Wonderly with vocals by Liz Vice. Please find us at nytimes.com slash Dear Sugars. You can send us your letters at Dear Sugars at nytimes.com. That's Dear Sugars, plural, at nytimes.com. Or leave us a voicemail on our hotline at 929 399 8477. And please check out our column that comes out every Tuesday online and Thursday in the New York Times style section at nytimes.com slash the sweet spot.
0: So I just want to tease apart this bossy thing a little bit, because I am like totally not bossy. Oh, If Cheryl. everyone would oh, listen to what I say, I wouldn't have it. to be bossy. Okay? I've, to- I've described you, it's more I like describe
1: you as a quality control